Welcome everyone, it is Citywide Meal on Pride. My name is Tracy Moore. This is episode three. Today, we are going to attempt to unpack what uh, our current culture, listen, everything is evolving and language is changing so quickly. From the minute we put the identity spectrum as the title for this chat, we realize no, 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 there is a better way to be describing what's happening. And so we couldn't even change the graphics. That's how quickly the language is evolving. So the name of this episode is actually called the Soji Spectrum. Here to help us understand and redefine the topic at hand is advocate for the two-spirited community of EU-ish-G, which is Cree territory. We have Geraldine Chacapio. We also have artist, model, and activist Rain Dove with us today. And we have journalist and instructor of queer media at Ryerson School of Journalism, Andrea Houston, joining us. We're going to dive into the history, of course, but I'm going to explain the SOGI spectrum, which is basically a term that includes sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, which is, you know, a little bit more of a specific way of getting into the identity spectrum. So the way it breaks down is all of these categories, all of these sort of um, explainers are in different categories. So there is the sex you are assigned at birth. There is the gender you are in your brain. There is how you express that gender identity. And then there is your sexual orientation. Tell me if I'm getting this right, because I'm learning along the sex you were assigned at birth versus the gender you are in your brain versus how you express that gender identity versus your sexual orientation. All things that are different and potentially fluid if we don't put ourselves in sort of like a, a very rigid corner. So can we start with the by explaining just the sex you were assigned at birth, Andrea? So the sex you are assigned at birth is essentially how you're born, but it doesn't necessarily relate to the gender that you feel uh, in your brain and who you will grow up into. Gender and sexual orientation are concepts, uh, as we understand them in the global global north, are social constructs that have evolved through our post-colonial history. Before colonization, uh, gender and sexuality meant very different things uh, to very different people, depending on where you lived, your culture, what nation you belong to, where in the country you were from, where in this land, where in this turtle island you are from, is how you you will relate differently to to gender and and the sex you are assigned at birth. Our biases with regard to this issue are completely evolved through colonialism and specifically religion. We're going to get into that in a second because there's lots to unpack there. Your gender expression, Andrea, that what would that be describing? Gender expression is performance. So the clothes that you wear, how you talk, the mannerisms, the way you walk. And in some cases, these are also culturally evolved, right? Because how, you know, our concepts or how you identify as a woman is different how I identify as a cis woman. And likewise for a trans woman, how she grows up and her signifiers for her of what a woman is, is much different than what somebody else's signifiers for what a woman is. And however, whatever those signifiers are to you, how you perform that is your gender identity. Okay. And then sexual orientation, who you are attracted to. Who you're sexually attracted to, or in the case of asexuals, who you're not sexually attracted to. Okay. So your gender assigned at birth is not necessarily connected to your sexual orientation, is not necessarily connected to your gender 
identity or your gender expression. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. These things are often mixed up, uh, particularly when we we listen to right-wingers or people who are trying to twist the narrative for their own political agenda. All of these terms get uh, mashed up together, and it's really to a disadvantage of marginalized people because when we talk about these terms, they're very powerful because they can really shift how they're also empowering for people to really be able to, you know, understand who we are as, as, as in our fundamental humanity. Being able to articulate that is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. There's a lot of power in the definitions and in the language. Now, can we talk about colonialism for a bit? It was very interesting for me to do the research and see that there was so much fluidity before colonialism. So this whole idea of a binary, you say, Andrea, is a colonial import. Let's talk a little bit about why that happened. Well, I mean, colonialism has impacted all aspects of our our life and all aspects of the world around us, particularly here on Turtle Island. And how we understand sexuality and gender is part of the colonial legacy, specifically maintaining a rigid binary and fixed gender roles for for what is considered men and what, what is considered women. Our society is built on this foundation of heteronormativity and cisnormativity. And for, for viewers who don't have never heard those terms before, it's the idea that there's only two genders and sex outside heterosexual sex is considered deviant. And these ideas uh, that, that there's only one way to be, that there is a man and a woman and those two people... Uh, get together and and procreate, that that is the only way to be, that has been reinforced by culture, by laws, and that has been fueled by religion and capitalism. The laws that we have are now trying to, you know, reform, repeal, or adjust to our current modern life. And the reason why they don't fit is because they were created at a time when, you know, there, there was a political agenda. There was a specific agenda, and colonialism is a political agenda. And, you know, creating definitions binary rigid definitions for for what men and women are supposed to be is part of that political agenda. The laws that were created uh, through colonialism, anti-sodomy laws, which have been left all around the world by the British and and, uh, European colonizers, including in Canada, our anti-sodomy law incidentally didn't get repealed until 1969. But these laws are still causing extreme harm to LGBTQ plus people around the world. It's why so many Queer and trans refugees are desperate to to flee their countries where they're literally hunted, not just by, uh, you know, the laws and the police and the government, but by organized mobs of people. There's still 70 countries around the world where you can go to jail just by being who you are as a queer or trans person. And about seven countries where you can face execution for just being who you are. And I, you know, I think it's really important that we recognize that, you know, there's a lot of work being done right now to to try and repeal these laws and also to fight for access for uh, refugees to ensure that they can escape and recognize that, you know, colonialism is the result and we're still benefiting from a system of colonialism. Social and political movements have also shaped our ideas of gender from feminist and pro-abortion movements fighting for body self-determination Uh, to intersectional struggles for justice and civil rights. These movements have empowered people to remove barriers and enshrine recognition in legal documents. For example, uh, the labor movement's early struggles and early fights for rights were done by really a small group of people in, in factories and workplaces, women who were fighting for recognitions in all male workspaces, BIPOC people who were often the only ones fighting for recognition 
uh, in union spaces. The power of these movements was enormous. Fighting for recognition in factories, which led to fighting for you know recognition in union locals, which led to national recognition in national union constitutions, which led to you know recognition in political parties like labor, which led to legislation, which led to the rights and freedoms and legal protections that we have now, such as in Ontario. We were one of the first jurisdictions in, in the world to enshrine gender identity and gender expression in our provincial human rights code uh, as a protected grounds alongside discrimination for discrimination alongside race, religion, disability. That has saved lives. And that's also ensured that trans people and gender nonconforming people can bring cases to the Human Rights Commission and fight for the justice they deserve. So as I, you know, read through the research and the history, the one question that kept coming up to me is, if we know pre-colonial times there was fluidity in, in a lot of these terms where we see a lot of rigidity now, my big question was why? What was it about colonization, colonialism, capitalism that made it so important for us to have a binary? Why, why was that an important part of it? And from what I could see, colonization brought capitalism. Capitalism profits off of a strict division of labor men as producers, women as reproduction, and there's no room for anyone else because it doesn't help to prop up these systems of capitalism and colonization. And that's why we have racial hierarchies. It helps to uphold colonization. And that's why when people, Irish folks, Italian folks, they were not considered white, right? That hierarchy had to exist. And then when they were considered white, then we just kept going down. Now, you know, then, then it's Blacks and it's free labor. And so am I on the right wavelength Absolutely. here? Is that why we are pulled into this binary? It's all connected. Yeah, it's a, it's a means of social control and, and as a way to, in some way, orchestrate the future. Because that, that's what the goal was, right? To be able to orchestrate a future. Oh, right. And oppression is a big part of that. Rain, I'd like to uh, go to you now. You say your identity is I am I. Can you explain that or tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So basically, I have a very different perception of the world, I think, than many people do. Um, And my goal is not to try to control how other people are allowed to experience the world around them. My identity is I am I. I don't identify as male or female. I just identify as a being who is being. And I am a series of actions and intentions and executions of those actions and intentions. Um, I'm an experience. The reason why I identify as that is I've been on a I've been on a bit of a journey. You know, I grew up with a big F on my birth certificate, which I always kind of felt stood for. Oh, I'm not going to put it out there; she have to beat me. At birth, you know, the world is divided in a really powerful way, and it, it's so incredible what humans have been able to overcome. We can swim deeper than any fish. We can fly higher and faster than any bird. And we can get in a vehicle that moves faster and smoother with more precision than a cheetah. But the one evolution that hinders us the most, that holds us back by um, burdening people with sex expectations is that very clear, it's a boy, it's a girl at birth. Because stating those things, it's not just about stating the mechanical function of a person, it's about stating the potential of that person, the social function of that person, and where that person might be able to go. And from birth, I've been pretty much saddled with a direction I very clearly was pretty much not going to be able to go down and succeed. 
over time, I've identified as many things. You know, I thought maybe I'm bisexual. Maybe I'm just an ugly girl. Maybe I am a butch lesbian. Maybe I'm a butch hetero person. And this is just what a pretty girl looks like. And then I realized the problem is, is that I'm just I. I am trying to compare myself to a history of people based off from a sound when I have never been and I never will be. And I'm only now and now and now and now. And this comparative quantification of who I am and how I measure up will never be as accurate as assessing myself based off of my own existence. When I try to pretty much culminate what's possible for me based off from what has been possible for the people before me, how can one go forward? I'm measuring my future by my past, by the past of people I've never been. And it just doesn't feel right. So what I did for me personally is I stopped using those labels. I stopped using female, male. I stopped using he, she. I stopped using these things that tied me into a group of people. And I just started being accountable for myself. And I just say, I am I. Now you can call me he, she, it, one, they. I don't, I don't really care. All I care about are the intentions. I don't want to control people because your freedom to be is my freedom to be. But that's for me personally. Everyone has different ways in which they feel respected. For me, it's about good intentions. But if you want to respect me the most, the most respectful thing people can do for me is just call me by my name and that's it. No pronouns, no nothing. Just the sound that I've adopted and had um, for myself because that is the most me that you can see me to be. And that's how you can really respect who I am. It's not everyone's cup of tea. I'm not saying gender or sex is a bad thing. I'm not saying that people don't shouldn't have their identities because our identities, they, they bring a lot of comfort and grounding to us. Sometimes we only understand who we are now because we feel very tied to who has come before us. And it's important for us to use language that we're familiar with this because it makes us feel safe. So I'm not taking that away from people, but this is how I personally identify in the world. And it's not better than anyone else's identity. It just works for me. And I've had the best life since that, since that rec- recognition. Rain, when, do you, when did that recognition come about? And you say it's definitely an evolution. Yeah, it's been an evolution because I, you know, I've tried using a lot of different language and tying myself into a lot of different histories. And in a way, um, you know, people will tether me to history by saying I am one thing or another, you know. But I decided instead of trying to control people, I'm going to just control myself. I'm going to be only accountable for myself. I'm not going to play whack a troll my entire life. I'm just going to exist within my own realms. I let I finally let go of labels and the limitations of those labels when I was like 25. It took a long time. I desperately wanted to belong to a community. And I felt that if I was a part of a label, I'd be part of a language and language is culture. And I'd be part of culture, which is part of community. And I would have a family, a family out there for me, a group of people that shared something with me because my family had rejected me for my identity. And all I wanted to do was belong. What I realized was I was trying to tie myself to people in a homogenous and unfair way when really like no one owes me their familyship or their friendship just because of a sound or a shared experience. We owe each other allyship because we exist and that's it. And so a lot of my work is based off from allyship to existence, fighting for the rights of food, shelter, water, physical safety and freedom of movement, regardless of people's sociopolitical status, where they stand on things, whether they agree with me or not. I believe that everyone should have those basic things. It's made it so I have a pretty wild and wonderful life. 
Rain, that's incredible. I mean, you, you, right? Yeah. Nap on that one, Andrea. You that was beautiful. Know. That was beautiful. <laughs> I didn't even know we were going there, but I, I, it, I, I find that so insightful because you've basically gotten rid of all of the constraints that might tell you what you're supposed to be. And you're going to live your life as rain minute to minute to minute. And so I just want to ask you a couple of things. You mentioned sexpectation, which is now a word I must adopt. (laughs) Expectation. Um, I love that. But I also want to talk about this idea because I think a lot of us like community is so important to me. And I wonder, is there a sense of isolation or loneliness? Do you feel that? Or do you feel that you've been able to find some semblance of community Mm -hmm. living your life as rain? Labels can be pivotal things for some people. They help people understand who they are by being able to use the information people have gathered by who they've been. And I think it can create a sense of closeness because some of us have shared traumas and experiences in various parts of the world. But this planet is more connected than it's ever been. And we are outside of these small towns and crossing borders into other countries without even crossing over the threshold of our own bedroom just by getting online. And I think we're realizing there's a very different experience that everyone has within those labels. To be queer in the USA is very different depending on the state and the town that you're in. To be queer in the USA is different than if you were in another part of the world on another continent. We might be executed for even putting a pride flag or emoji on your platform. We are looking at these, the deconstruction of very various privileges and realizing that the labels that we are identifying with are far more vast and expansive than we thought. I think oftentimes we use labels not just to find a family, but to simplify things. But as we become more connected to the world and the way that the world um, shares certain language with us, I think we're realizing that there's room to not be so lazy. There's room to be individual and to be specific about who we are. And um, yeah, I don't I don't feel lonely because for me personally, this is for me personally, because everyone has their own journey and their journey is so valid. And I'm here for anyone who's like, you better call me, (laughs) ma'am. You know, I'm here for you. But not but. And for me, when I lifted the labels for myself, I lifted a weight off from the world to know me by anything other than myself and my actions. I've stopped having to put my energy into policing other people. And I don't go after people based off from what they sit, like the language they use for me. I go off off from their actions, their intentions. And I'm able to be a far more effective community member and activist. And also in a weird way, I'm able to access people who I would have possibly through my language of of using a label, I would have cut them off because they weren't part of the community. They could never understand me. They couldn't be part of my experience. No, if you're a part of this species, you are a part of my experience, whether good or bad, whether pleasant or unpleasant, you are a part of my experience. And I don't want a label to be a limitation between the possibility for something to grow between us because we won't always have a wonderful journey through and through with people. But whether we like it or not, we have a journey with them just by being in this space together. And so, yeah, I don't feel lonely. I feel like anything's possible. I feel like I can see something in every person on this planet. And I know that's controversial to say. I know it because people are going to say things like, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer. But I really do believe that there is something in every single person on this planet that is worth remembering and loving. And I, that's how I choose to live my life. It may be hippy dippy, but hey, my name is Rain Dove. And you know what? I, I wake up every day 
filled with hope, despite the fact that the media is just filled with dread, because I know that things are possible where we have been telling each other it isn't possible. I know that there are people who are going to fight for me, even though they haven't yet called themselves an ally. I know that there are people who are going to rise up and change the way that they see the world because they're going to go on the journey and have an opportunity to see it differently. And I want to give people that possibility. So I don't label. I just let people be and they tell me who they are by the way that they exist. Geraldine, I want to get into your experience uh, as a two-spirited Cree woman. You know, Rain talked a bit about the sexpectation. Have you felt that sexpectation? And how has that sort of influenced your journey? For me, um, I can really understand this whole sexpectation because being born as a female, I was really like, I guess everyone expected me to act like a girl growing up and to take on the womanly roles too because of the colonial mindset that my community has been forced upon and with the whole residential school being a big impact on the Indigenous population that really changed how the Cree population are and always expected to do girly things and wear girly clothes. And for me now, identifying as a two-spirited person, I believe that there are two spirits within me. I have the feminine spirit and I have the masculine spirit. And it's within the First Nations culture that considered to be very sacred. But because of residential schools and the whole colonialism, how it has impacted the population, like people were led to believe that we are living a very deviant life and we don't fit in. And I think that having to grow up in that kind of mindset within a small community within the EU is she is has affected how I've grown up. But also I can really relate to Rain explaining growing around with these labels. And for me it was the same as a teenager. As I started noticing how I was attracted to the female, the woman too, I thought, oh, so I I think I'm bi. <laughs> And I identified as bi for quite some time. But then after a while, I just really liked women. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm a lesbian. Then after that, I just like started seeing like different people too. I was like, oh, I don't know what I am anymore. <laughs> I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what kind of label to use. Pansexuality is like something that I can really relate to. It's like being attracted to all genders and sexual identity. And I accept people for who they are. So in my journey of life, I learned the term two-spirit. When I really wanted to learn more about who they are, what the term means for Indigenous folks. And when I did my research and found out how they were really sacred people within the community and how their roles were very important within the community because they carry both spirits and how gifted they are, I really wanted to explore that as well. And I went out to go find elders and other two-spirited people and talk with them and talk amongst them to be able to see how, how they are. And with that, I was like, yeah, after more than 20 years of living, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm to totally two-spirited too. I've been blessed with two spirits within me. And I, I prefer the term say them, but I kind of use she just so like my family can like ease into 
good, but I really like it when the two-spirited elder was talking to me. It's like, their name is Geraldine. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it really empowered me. It really made me feel seen and how she acknowledged that I have two spirits. And after that, I was like, okay, so I'm two-spirited. I wake up sometimes feeling more feminine or sometimes I feel more masculine when I wake up. But most of the time, maybe about 90% of the time I wake up feeling both very equally. And I find that with that, a lot of people, especially within EUSG, the Cree nation, um, sometimes with the colonial mindset, they tend to be like, hey, don't forget you're a woman and you were born as a woman. Don't forget to walk and talk like a woman. But for me, I'm like, I'm too spirited. <laughs> uh, I can do as I please, but not in like a rude way, though. I try to talk to people about being too spirited and educating them about how I identify as. And I think that it's still evolving to how we are, but where we are now today, there's a lot more pride events happening this year. There weren't very many Pride events happening within EUSG. And now I guess I inspired a lot of people to hold Pride events since being the Miss you, you know, representing the Cree Nation. A lot of Pride events have been happening all over the Cree Nation. And we're like in the middle of a change right now, even though with this pandemic, like it's restricting us from living how we used to live before. I find that it's very powerful too, because we are in the middle of a change. And I'm just very happy that it's happening finally. So Geraldine, that was going to be my next question. Are you finding that there's a, a softer place to land for you within your community? Because being marginalized within a marginalized community is a thing. And, you know, I, as I mentioned to Rain, like community is incredibly important to me. So are you finding that there are there's more acceptance lately? Yeah, just recently, too, because okay. growing up, I had to hide. I had to stay in a closet for a quite amount of time from when I was like 14 to 19. I was 19 when I first came out. And even then it was such like a big voodoo thing to happen, even though we had the LGBTQ2 plus community within my community, people were still like very close-minded about it. And now where we are today and taking on this new role of being the Miss Cree Nation, Miss Iulino School, I find that it's given me a lot of opportunity to speak for the next generations to come and to educate people about it and to bring awareness within EUSG about who we are and how sacred and awesome we really are. <laughs> Amazing. I'm sure there'll be viewers out there thinking, okay, in Indigenous communities where we have read that two-spirit folks are revered and held on a pedestal, and then they hear your story, I think we have to continue to remind ourselves that colonization doesn't just come in and take over. It attempts to change the society that it takes over. And so there are very few societies that haven't been affected by that. And so, yeah, you're not getting acceptance uh, originally in your communities because it's the same sort of influence of Christianity and, and colonization that are affecting your communities. Andrea, is there anything about what Geraldine just said that surprises you at all? No, not, 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 I mean, I, I, I loved hearing her talk and I loved hearing them the, explain the, their history. And, and it was just really, I was really enjoying hearing that perspective. It, it's very much intrinsic to, to the stories that I've heard before, but to spirit growing up in, in, in a colonial 
uh, mindset. But, you know, I think the Canadians really need to hear these stories over and over again. We, you know, I, I, just what you said, Tracy, what we have been told about two-spirit people is kind of like what we're told about uh, third gender in India, that these people are held up and revered by the culture. But we forget that there's been a lot of persecution. There has been a lot of trauma. There's been a lot of really horrible things that have happened. And I don't think that history is talked about enough. And I don't think, you know, I, I think that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of that because, as you said, colonization, that disruption of colonization has impacted everybody and has impacted every aspect of, of life, most especially Indigenous people. You know, the, the colonial disruption and the imposed Christian ideas about gender and sexuality not shared by Indigenous cultures have been folded into the culture. And those, dis, you know, ideas, those rigid ideas have unfortunately been passed on or imposed on young people. And so the, that's that's what I hear. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't make it right. But, it, you know, we are seeing uh, we are seeing changes now. There is a shift. And rights and legislation have helped with this, enshrining trans rights in the human rights code and in the uh, Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a big part of that. Those rights and those protections make space for people to speak and make space for people to, to disrupt the system and to fight back, where if you don't have that protection behind you, if you don't have rights that protect your voice, um, then it's much more difficult to, to, to voice your frustration or how those laws are negatively impacting you. You know, I can certainly say from working on the ban on conversion therapy here in Ontario, um, I, I worked with MPP Sherry DeNovo on that piece of legislation, and we heard many stories from people from all walks of life, including Two-Spirit Canadians who talked about, you know, the impacts that they felt, feeling that they were being pushed into therapy to no longer be queer or trans. It's heartbreaking because so much of this is, is learned behavior through colonialism. So much of this has been passed on through residential schools or the public school system and certainly the Catholic school system, which remind you that we, we have a publicly funded Catholic school system in Ontario, which up until very recently has been in constant battle with the queer and trans people, uh, queer and trans students that go to these schools. So, you know, young people have fought their doctors for recognition as well, and that is changing. But I think at, at the end of the day, it's the resilience of queer and trans people, queer and trans people from, from all walks of life, young people right now. I, I mean, I look to my students at Ryerson, I look to look the young people I, I follow on social media, they are fearless. You know, they are talking uh, about these issues. They're using language like intersectionality, where my generation didn't didn't have those tools in their tool belt. And so it's, you know, making change is is all about, you know, breaking down barriers and, and calling out systems that, that are oppressive. And certainly colonialism is a big system that we have all grown up with. And we're really just now starting to unpack the damage and the trauma that it has done to people. You know, we talk about conversion therapy, that's tantamount to torture. But that wasn't an understanding that we had even maybe 10 years ago, certainly within queer and trans communities. But the large majority of people, uh, and certainly the DSM, still considered, you know, in some ways that there's maybe room, there's some gray area that queer and trans people can get therapy and no longer be queer or trans. That is now not the case. Now we have a large majority of cultural understanding that that is torture and we, and we shouldn't do that to people. So there is a shift, but it requires a lot of work and the work is far from done. And I think that panelists like the people who are on the panel today are doing some incredible amount of work to break down these barriers and call attention to these injustices. And I'm just really proud to be on the panel with them both. Rain, you can say something that I think is so, um, it really helps to explain 
you say gender to sex is like ethnicity to race. Can you explain or flesh that out a, a, a little bit for our viewers? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. You know, if you fill, ever fill out a census thing, you know, you'll notice that they ask you for your ethnicity and they ask you for your race. Ethnicity is something that we can really tie down to something pretty specific. It's it's the, you know, your place of origin. Even then, when does that stop, right? If we all can say that we all came from the cradle of Africa, ethnicity sometimes in its way is also quite flawed, right? Because, you know, it comes off from an assumption of lineage to a certain specific time. <laughs> and even that's very fluid. But not to confuse people, ethnicity is something that really is more regionally based. But race is something that is opinion based. And we find this to be quite an interesting thing. Race is the idea of what is the shape of your skin, essentially. What do you look like, not where are you from? And it's quite interesting because somebody can be, for instance, from South America, but they can be white, but they are coming from an extreme place of marginalization in one, in one realm. And then from another realm, they're also coming from a place of privilege. And so race, it, it, it's made up, especially as the world began integrating and colonialism started really creating a crossover of people having babies with other people. And we started seeing a spectrum. I mean, we've seen a spectrum since the beginning of the world, but I mean, I think colonialism really widened that spectrum with this globalism of sex and this globalism procreation. And essentially we used race to enforce colorism, to enforce white supremacy, because we knew that predominantly the people who colonized the world were white, right? So we basically created race to be like, I don't care where you came from. As long as you look like us, you're kind of on our team. Race is an opinion, but it's not necessarily a fact, you know, and when you go on and, and even ra race is very confusing. Right? It's like it's black. You can be black, white. And then it's like Hispanic. And you're like, that's not a color. What is that? So race is a social structure. It's something that was created to try to kind of organize people based off from what they look like. And that's the same kind of thing with sex and gender. Sex is based off from actual phenotypical traits, biological traits of people. There are more than two sexes. There are six sexes, but there are two that um, we consider to be quite dominant. But even then, I think that if you look at the science of what sex is, it's based off from many traits, your internal and external organs. You know, you're talking about chromosomes, you're talking about hormones, you're talking about all kinds of things. So this is based off from your actual mechanical body. But gender is based off from your relationship to the world around you and how the world perceives your body. So it's kind of also an opinion, an opinion that changes wherever you go. My short hair is not necessarily masculine in all cultures when it comes to its relationship to sex, right? So just think of it as like gender is a feeling, sex is a, and I'm gonna put this in heavy quotes, science. Yeah. In my personal opinion, I think that we live in a time period where we have the ability to do what we didn't do before. We used to divide the world by sex because we had to make things simple for ourselves. We were in a time where things were quite complicated, just trying to survive. So we didn't want to do the hard work of having to look at the individualism of every person. So we put them into groups. But now we're in a time where we have far more than enough little ones running around the planet. In fact, maybe overconsuming. And we also are in a time period where we can store vast amounts of information unlike ever before. We can do that because we have databases which can do that. Imagine if you were born in a world where instead of being told you're male or you're female, you're literally just told this is you and you're given a personalized handbook that is an outline of your body, your body, not you as a woman or you as a man, just 
here's how your particular body functions coming into this world, not comparative to anyone else, broken down just like a car. It would allow you to have better access to medical care because so many people are misdiagnosed based off from the idea of the fact that they that their body is homogenous with every other woman or every other man. It would make sure you have more specific medical care. It would also allow you to have better mental health care, better understanding of what to eat to make you to optimize your health because you'd understand your genealogy. It would allow you to have a better understanding of yourself as a person, not compared to anyone else, but understanding your own vessel, not your vessel in comparison to the world, just your vessel compared to yourself. I think we should all be born with an automated handbook of our body. I do think that we should lessen our use of the term male and female in society. I don't think that we have to, in this time, we can look at great depth of data and individuality. I don't think we have to homogenize people as much. And I think that what we're doing, while it once was useful to divide people in a homogenous way, is now detrimental and it's holding us back. And I just think we would be a lot better off if we were free. Yeah, well, maybe we'll get there. These are conversations that need to exist way beyond City Line Real on Pride. You need to take any little nugget. And by the way, I'm getting lots of nuggets. And I, I think all these nuggets, you can go off into several different, you know, ways of researching and just educating yourself more about any of these topics. Geraldine, I'm going to give you the last word. I would like to know if you have anything to offer to folks who may be struggling right now with their identity based on the journey you're on right now. For me, like if you are two-spirited or however you identify, I think it's very beautiful that you're being true to yourself. It's going to be quite a journey too, but it's such an amazing journey to be on too, to find out who you really are. And no matter how many struggles that you go through, you will find people who will love you and accept you and support you fully just because of how you identify as. I think that it's very beautiful how we're just kind of like getting away from the whole heteronormity <laughs> and just expressing ourselves whatever we identify as uh, especially for rain too i find that it was so beautiful how you explained it and how you talked about about who you identify as i've never heard that before and i i hear it <laughs> but and i feel it and it's so beautiful to see someone in such a very inspirational position to talk about that so freely as well and i think that we need people more like rain and andrea too and you well and, and you geraldine and you <laughs> that's the last word for a reason geraldine you're very important right now to a lot of people people believe that a lot of indigenous people are already gone as if they're an extinct species of some creature just magical and mystical Mm -hmm. it's really important that you breathe life back into something that was stolen from a lot of people. Yeah. And I'm really so sorry and sad that that burden is put on your shoulders because this shouldn't be what you have to dedicate your life to. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm feeling a bit emotional right now, <laughs> but like the work that I'm doing right now and how I'm trying to educate people and raise awareness is because I'm doing it for the future generations to come to use that are, expressing those themselves so freely now I find that they're so beautiful and I just want to say to them like I love you guys and if you feel like you don't have a sibling or family member or a mentor that doesn't want to be there for you and doesn't want to accept you I will love you I will accept you fully for who you are and I'm your family I'm your friend whoever that you need I'm, I'm that person for you 
and you're not alone. You're never alone. I'm getting all emotional now. That's indicative of, of, of the big queer family. You know, it's, it's this, you know, we'll make space for you when your own family doesn't. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. I just want to say a big thank you, uh, Geraldine Shakapio, Ray Dove, Andrea Houston. What a great conversation. I feel like maybe I need to wake up every morning and text you, Rain, and hear some words of inspiration. <laughs> it's what do you got? What do you got? Yeah. Give me something to look uh, Our friendship will definitely extend outside of this moment. I think that we're here to do important things together. And Put we me on that thread. Put me on right? that thread, please. Right? I'll be on WhatsApp after this, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so honored to be able to moderate these conversations because I feel like I get to keep, you know, growing my own community. So thank you so much for joining us. Take care of yourselves. Love yourselves, love your neighbor, love your community. 